Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm Adam Green. In this week's episode, we're joined by Philip Mould, founder of Philip Mould & Company, a leading British art and old masters gallery in London. Philip, thanks for speaking with us. Well, it's a great pleasure. I wanted to first talk to you a little bit about the old masters area of the art market. It's one that hasn't received the same kind of attention as contemporary or modern art in terms of art market performance lately, as well as some of the headlines in the news. Where are you seeing strength and where are you seeing potentially some weakness in this segment of the art market? I, th- I think it's a generality. Uh, old masters are not very fashionable at the moment. Uh, I think the very, very great ones are. There's, there's moments in the history of art which, which actually sort of define the, the history of, of Western culture. That's one thing. But, you know, your rank and file still lives, landscapes, and uh, particularly Italian religious pictures are not really part of modern sensibility in the same way that they were. And I think that's partly due to a, a, a lack of sort of formal style education of the type that we were all uh, rigidly expected to do uh, when we were younger and in previous generations. I think a, a new type of a new type of thinking, a new type of zeitgeist, which um, uh, is not quite so regimented, not quite so uh, dependent upon the. the the, the traditional classical styles of education, but are more those who, 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 who think on their own in a different way, prefer art that reflects that. And um, I think that's what we're seeing at the moment. We're seeing also, uh, to a degree, a sort of label-led um, market. Uh, the celebrity that you associate with designers um, is now very familiar to a lot of people, you know, in clothes and shoes and, 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 and numerous other areas of life. And I think art has, has been hitched onto that bandwagon. Yeah, there seems to be a stereotype within the art market and the art world that old masters, as well as, I know, I know you, you focus a lot on portraiture, um, but some of the older portraiture um, seems to be almost exclusively collected by collectors who are on their older side. Based on your dealings, would you, do you believe that's an accurate description, or what are you seeing in terms of the type of collectors who are interested in portraiture uh, or you know, ranging all the way back to old masters? Yeah, I think you're right. I, th- I think I think probably the majority of big buyers are uh, over fifty. Um, however, and this is really very interesting to me. I mean, a lot of people are now interested in art in the way that they weren't from the street upwards because of the uh, excitements of contemporary art. That market has, as we all know, massively expanded. And there's a certain group of individuals, a slightly more inquiring, possibly, type of individual who's interested in, in, in the origins of the art that they have uh, become hooked on, who actually are beginning to look back. And let's not forget, I mean, contemporary art wouldn't exist without what's come before it. It's, it's, a, it's a process of evolution. Uh, there's a sort of uh, an unfurling logic to what's happened in the 20th and 21st century. And the other point is that a lot of these paintings, these, these old masters, and some old masters, it has to be said, are the very greatest moments in the history of our culture. I was actually last week uh, standing at the at the foot, literally the foot of of Michelangelo's David, and I was actually you know blown away by it. And I, you know, I was looking up, and I just couldn't believe how 
how, how sublime it was. I mean, what an extraordinary achievement. Um, and I couldn't really help but feel both literally and, 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 and metaphorically that this dwarfs so much of what, what's going on uh, today. But, but a lot of these, these paintings from history can be discovered or can be purchased if they're not by the really famous names, but the names of the second tier for for a fraction of what the cost of um, some of these leading contemporary artists are going for. Now, just think about that for a moment. I mean, we're talking about, you know, the, the DNA of the art world, uh, how and where our art came from. And if you're able to buy things that are three, four, five hundred years old, painted on panels, um, in reasonably good condition by, by, by artists who are, are, are possibly possibly definably the author of that particular work for, I don't know, ten, twenty thousand dollars rather than two hundred and fifty thousand dollars or more, depends what we're dealing with. Um, it's a bit of a no brainer really. And um, so I think we're beginning to see that. We're beginning to see a type of inquiring modern or, or contemporary buyer beginning to look at the genesis of of, of where the art that they've become interested in has come from. Yeah, I think that's a really fascinating uh, thought you put forward. And I'm curious about that, if, if those modern contemporary collectors are starting to look uh, to older art. Do you, is that something that they're making that discovery on their own? Or can galleries such as yourself and auction houses actively try to broaden uh, hmm. these collectors' base? And yeah. ha- what, ha- what kind of attempts have you seen uh, in order to do that, if you think that is possible? Well, I mean, well, I found it absolutely rather fascinating because um, and I do have, I, I, I specialize in, in 500 years, really, of, of portraits of the face. I mean, for me, the face is the most fascinating subject in, in the history of art. And um, I occasionally have people, I have, for example, at the moment on my walls, a, a, a major portrait of Prince Charles of, of, of England um, done in the 1990s. And I've had a couple of people come in and just specifically to see that. And then they actually walk down to, to, the, to the floor below where I've got you know, Henry VIII and Charles I and, and, and other sort of images from history. And they say, well, why are these things like forty, fifty thousand dollars when that portrait of Prince Charles upstairs is two hundred and fifty thousand pounds? It is a, actually a very major portrait of Prince Charles. And then they ask me, and you know, if a polka dot, just one dot by Damien Hurst, um, in a, is worth I don't know fifty thousand. How come this is the case? So I think what happens is that it's a sort of happy accident. I think the the, the buyers of contemporary art, sometimes just by the nature of the fact that the art that they're interested in is is often in an area where old masters are, uh, their head is turned. Um, and then, of course, there's publicity given uh, by the major auction houses, um, as we know, has uh, trumpeted perpetually. So um, you know, you don't have to be you don't have to be that alert um, to be occasionally hit between the eyes with an old master and and the possibilities of old master collecting. You've written extensively on fakes and fraud in the art market. How much of a mm. correlation are you seeing between the rise in prices over the past five years and the number of fakes? appearing on the market? 
Well, I mean, I think what is what is what is deeply worrying is just the huge um, quantity of fakes that you get on the internet now. Uh, I'm not talking about big money fakes, and I'm actually not talking about fakes in the sort of legal sense. I, I have a term for them. I call them trappers, which is short for cheese in a trap, and. It's um, to describe a picture that take a Picasso, for example, or a non-Picasso. A painting that's online, that's signed Picasso. Uh, it's a Picasso subject. It's on old paper. It's got a, um, a label on the back that relates to um, uh, a French gallery. Uh, now, let's say this thing is, is, is a fake, uh, which it, it is uh, in 99.9% of the time on, on, on the major auction um, sites. What the, what the cataloger of it will describe it as is French school, you know, mid 20th century. They won't make the claim that it's Picasso, but just like the cheese in the trap, you, you, you are drawn to thinking it is. And then so are other bidders. So what you've got is this sort of, you know, nebulous sort of gray area now uh, that is growing to such an extent that a large proportion of pictures of, 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 of a purported age that you're now seeing on the major internet sites are, are dodgy. Um, and then, of course, at the higher end of the market, fakers are beginning to get more sophisticated because as we get to know more about the history of art, the technical um, idiosyncrasies of the artists, as we get to know the materials that they used, the galleries that they went through, the habits and anthropology of these painters, and massive advances in internet knowledge has allowed us to do that, so too the faker becomes sophisticated. So the faker has grown in sophistication uh, to match our capacity to look into history of art too. Uh, so there is a correlation actually between a greater interest in the 20th century art market um, and the capacity of the faker. And you're just opening a large new gallery space in London. Tell us a little bit about the new space and what you'll be showing there. And presumably that means you must have strong feelings about the future of the art market and the areas that you're covering. So tell us also, if you could, just a little mm. bit about how you see the market heading in the near future. Well, in a world that's full of trickery and uncertainty, it's great that you know that there is a way of actually buying things that you can trust. And it's all about getting to know people and getting to know people who have experience uh, and who have the authority to advise. And so therefore, some of the very great auction houses um, with, their, with, with, with their senior staff um, and some of the major dealers um, will always have a living. And so I've invested in moving to a much bigger gallery. I used to be in Bond Street, in Dover Street, the, the famous art world street in the 19th and early 20th century but what i've actually done is moved a little bit down the road to pall mall now pall mall in the early 19th century was where the art world was and uh, it's a dream for me it's a dream come true because i've been wanting for a long time to have space and now i've managed to get it both space around me and space above me and um, I have um, just opened uh, this month um, a, a three-floored gallery um, in front of the five major London clubs in Pall Mall. Uh, if I look out of the window, I can see uh, the dome of the National Portrait Gallery and the columns of the National Gallery. And I'm a pig in muck. I've found the gallery space that I want, and all my pictures 
are suddenly coming, sort of blinking into the light. You can feel the oxygen in the air around them. Uh, I've got space. So this is a thrilling time for me. I, I'm expanding. I've got a very big client base now who, in a world that is uncertain, in a world where where, where authority uh, prevails, um, they, they, they come and they want advice and they want to buy things. Um, so in my mid-50s, uh, I'm sitting pretty, having um, um, worked for this position over the last 30 years. Philip, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and talking to us about the old masters and the portraiture markets, um, as well as touching on fakes in the marketplace. It's really interesting to hear your perspective. If our listeners want to learn more about your gallery, what's the website they can go to? Uh, yes, they can. They can go to philipmold.com. P h i l i p m o u l d. philipmold.com. Perfect. Thanks again, Philip. We appreciate it. Great pleasure.